I've traveled back in time. This is episode 30, my interview with Joe Dallas. This is an awesome little interview that actually some of the things said here changed my life. The, the stuff that Joe Dallas um, said just, just in this interview um, really did affect me on a, on a heart level. So I love this episode. Um, this is Russ from 2011, introducing you once again to the Russ of 2006. Love you guys. Pray for me. Please donate to the show too, man. Uh, I'm not some money-hungry preacher guy, right? It just it, it takes money to keep this thing flowing, and um, yeah, I, I pray for your generosity in that area. So here we go, Joe Dallas. Bye. the podcast today. Today I have a guest, author of The Game Plan, Joe Dallas, uh, Men's 30-Day Strategy for Attaining Sexual Integrity. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thank you for having me, Russ. Uh, thanks again for being on the show. I just I just got to say that I've been digging into this book and, and I like it. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that you have fought a battle with this thing, haven't you? I mean, this is a, this book is written out of a lot of your experience and and just going through this yourself, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I have fought this, and I don't consider this to be a battle that is ever entirely won in this life, Russ. I think that once we've uh, engaged in a pattern of sexual acting out, then we have to sure that for the rest of our life we are taking proper precaution to make sure we don't return to that pattern. So the battle is both past tense, present tense, and future tense, in my opinion. Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Building those new patterns in our mind and those new uh, new ways of thinking. Um, uh, your book is, is great. You have this uh, Little League analogy that I love at the beginning of the book. <laughs> I, uh, I like, you know, the chapters, the way you have it set up as a strategy guide, and that's what I do like about it. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Joe. When I first saw, you know, your book, it says Men's uh, 30 Days Strategy. Um, now, a lot of people might think that that's some kind of a quick fix. Like, does that mean I'm supposed to be able to conquer this thing in 30 days? Certainly not. A 30-day strategy is not a 30-day cure, Russ. Exactly. If I put out a book that said, in 30 days, follow this plan, and you will be completely recovered and have no more struggles, uh, I would say avoid that book. <laughs> a strategy is another matter. In 30 days, you certainly can put together a strategy, take certain actions, develop checks and balances in your life that will help you maintain sexual integrity. And notice I use the phrase sexual integrity, not sexual perfection. Right. Sexual perfection would mean that you never again have an ungodly thought. You never again lust. You, you never again feel what you should not feel. Uh, sexual integrity, though, is consistency. And this is what I'm calling men to in this book. Too many men who name the name of Christ are living inconsistent with their profession as Christians. They are deliberately entertaining an ongoing sexual sin. So sexual integrity means, in essence, I have taken my sex life, my sexual desires, my sexual thoughts, 
and my sexual behavior. And I have put them under the authority of the scripture, and I am now living a life that is consistent with what I claim to be as a Christian. That's what I mean by a 30-day plan for attaining sexual integrity. Right, and that's, it's great that you have a kind of a step-by-step process to that. I have a new theme song on my show, Joe. It's a, a song by a, a guy named Steve Vai, and he wrote a song called Aching Hunger. Uh, the beginning of the song, I mean, it, it, it seems like it's, it's about sex addiction. At the beginning, beginning of the uh, song, he says, uh, I stand in the freezing winds of your glory and honor. How am I supposed to fight this fight when I can't even face the battle? A lot of folks are in that boat. I was in that boat for a while. You know, this kind of love-hate relationship with pornography. Yeah. How do we really get, I mean, like I said with your Little League analogy, we go into that a little bit. How do we really get in the game? Well, I think we get in the game because God calls us into the game. The Little League analogy I use, to put it simply, is this, Russ. When I played Little League as a boy, I liked wearing the Little League T-shirt, I liked having the status of being a ball player. I liked the perks that went along with it, but I didn't play the game. I didn't like the game. I didn't apply myself to it. I was lazy and lackadaisical. And finally, my coach jerked me off the bench one day while I was sitting there reading a comic book in the middle of a game. And he said, Dallas, if you don't want to play, you don't have to play. But if you're wearing that T-shirt and you're calling yourself a player on this team, I expect you to play and to put your whole heart into it. So make up your mind. Play or don't play, but don't try to have it both ways. A lot of guys are doing that with Christ. A lot of men who call themselves Christians are taking the perks of Christianity. They have saving faith. They attend church. They have all that goes along with the outer trappings of being a Christian. But they continue to compromise and not apply themselves to resisting sin in their lives, to ongoing godliness and sanctification. And, and these are the men I think God is calling to get back in the game. And by the way, I think today more than ever, uh, Russ, God is interrupting these men's lives. And that's how back into the game. I think God sends us a crisis of some kind, either our conscience or in our circumstances, that gets our attention and says basically, hey, buddy, you have a problem that you have been ignoring. And I will no longer let you ignore it. So oftentimes that means uh, the wife will find a history of porn on the Internet or the man will somehow be exposed. And God is basically lighting a fire under him to say, hey, this is no longer acceptable. And when that happens, we have what they call in the book a crisis of truth. And we say, oh, my gosh, I've got to get back in the game, a look at what I've allowed this problem to do to me. And that's the beginning of real repentance and then really becoming what I call a player, somebody who takes the game seriously. Right, once you get on the bench. I did a series of shows uh, called The Bomb Going Off. And basically, people who are listening to the show are, I believe, in one of two camps. Either the bomb has gone off in their life, in other words, their wife has caught them with the pornography or in an affair or something to that nature, or uh, they have a bomb ticking. And your book is, is about defusing the bomb, I believe, Joe. I, I really like that you have kind of set this whole strategy guide and put it together like that. Another thing I wanted to talk about is I love your analogy with the, the Little League because I remember being a Christian, and, you know, I, I sat in church and I listened to the sermons, but I never really dug into the Bible for myself. And that's one thing I love about uh, Hank Hanegraaff. We both have kind of a, a friend in Hank Hanegraaff. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, listener to his show. 
into the Bible and reading it for all it's worth and reading it because it's a love letter just to me, not just to, you know, for a pastor to read it to me. Because I, I sat there in church like you did, Joe, and I was like the kid in the Little League thing, and I thought, you know what, then I'm out of here because I can't do this because God isn't taking this from me. You know, I expected, I thought God was punishing me in some way. Like, I'm bad and I'm evil and I'm wrong, so God is here. He is smacking me with a stick every time and just waiting for me to screw up. And yeah. I thought that this whole sexuality thing was so hard, you know, to, to conquer, how you know, how was I supposed to do it? And I just gave up for about four years, Joe, on, on church, on Christian, on religion, you know. Well, you've got a lot of company there, Ron. That's right. Yeah. So talk about that for a moment. I mean, what, is, is well, God pissed off at us? Is he mad at us? No. Any good father would look at his son, and if he saw his son doing something that was dangerous, that was destructive, that kept him from living the kind of life he could live, that father would interrupt. Let me give you another analogy from my childhood, okay? I grew up on a golf course where there were some great hills to ride wagons down. And as a little three or four year old, I had a wagon that I wanted to take down a very steep ravine that led to a big suspension bridge and then down a cliff. It looked great to me, but it would have killed me, of course, if I had any common sense, I'd have known that. So I begged my dad, please let me go down that hill, please let me go down. And he could say, no, 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 no. Well, I just thought the old man didn't want me to have any fun. He was stodgy. He's mean. I know better than he does. This really won't hurt me. He's exaggerating, you know. So I decided I knew better than dad. And, and one day when we were out, dad had his back turned. And I saw my opportunity, and I jumped in my wagon, and I headed straight for that hill because that looked so fun. I was going to have a good time going down that hill. All of a sudden, boom, I'm flat on my back. The wind's knocked out of me. Dad had seen me headed for the hill. He sprinted, and he, to stop me, had to completely overturn my wagon, which was very traumatic, by the way. <laughs> and I thought, that monster... He is so mean, not only does he not want me to have a good time, he just ruined everything, and now I'm upset. Well, of course, what he saw was that I was going to kill myself if I kept going that direction. What I saw was a good time, and I couldn't see the consequences. That's what any good father would do. And I think the average man who is using pornography, involved in an adulterous affair, who's given himself to any kind of sexual perversion, all he sees, Russ, is a good time. Right. Something that's exciting and gratifying and hyper-stimulating. God the Father sees the end result of that. He sees the cliff that that man is going down, and if need be, he'll tip the guy's wagon over. Now, who would say that my dad was punishing me? Of course not. He wasn't punishing me. He was saving me. Right. What God does, that's what any good father would do. Very true. Very true. And... I love how you talk about uh, purpose in your book as well, because one of the things, I had a, a listener, Rob, that kind of straightened me out on a lot of the 12-step stuff. I had a, a few friends that had a negative uh, kind of a thing with the 12-step programs, and that kind of really bent me away from 12-step, although I do believe, you know, they do a lot of good work. If people really stick to the book, kind of like Christians who don't stick to the Bible, if people don't stick to the big book, you know, the the whole 12-step thing is, is it can be destructive. Um, one of the things that, one of my criticisms of the 12-step programs is 
the, the goal in life is not just to be sober, is it, Joe? I mean, once you're sober, there's so many people who, well, I'm sober now, but they hang their head, and it's like, all right, I don't do this thing that I, that I used to love, my flesh used to love so much, but now what? You know, they just kind of drag their head around, and they live with this mopey scowl on their face for the rest of their life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very joyless way to live, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, sobriety is a means to an end, as I see it, Russ. Uh, one of the wonderful things I think a person does when he, uh, uh, if he's an alcoholic, if he stops using alcohol, or if he's drug addicted, if he stops the drugs, he has removed from his life the thing that is keeping him from becoming the man he could be. And that's great. But now, of course, he's got to become that man. And I think the same is true of uh, sexual sobriety. God is not just calling us to be chaste, monogamous, Holy, just for the sake of being good people who don't do bad things. Life is about more than what we don't do. Now we have to lock into the purpose. Why were we created? What are the gifts God has given us? What is the passion He has placed on our heart? And what opportunities do we have to use those gifts and follow that passion? And I, I agree with you. If, uh, if I had just stopped sexually sinning, and that was all I did with my life. I would say that's a pretty dry life. Right. What I love about my life now is that there is purpose to it. And I don't want anything to derail that purpose, including sexual sin. Not to mention many other things. I think we have to be careful that we don't see uh, sexual sin as the only weakness we need to guard against. There are so many uh, uh, sins condemned in the Bible. Uh, that we need to guard against as well. But the point is, it's not just about leaving Egypt. Right. It's also about entering Canaan. It's not just about leaving bondage. It's about entering the promised land. That's right. That's absolutely right. And, you know, God, I th I've changed my, my outlook, you know, on, on who God is and, and really getting into, you know, the Bible and understanding who God really is and, and why he put me here because, you know, our purpose is, is so incredibly important. Um, we were created for a purpose. You know, everyone in the sound of our voice right now, Joe, is listening to this show at this time, in this moment in history for a reason, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, touched such a nerve because it tapped into the hunger people have for a sense of purpose and meaning. And uh, I think that's a God-given hunger. I think we first find our purpose in being reconciled to God. I think we also find it in stepping away from whatever has harmed our life and our relationship with Him. But then any good disciple knows you've also got to strive to understand what is God's specific purpose for you. Why were you created and what have you been commissioned to do? And there is a commissioning for all of us, and that's what we need to determine. That's right. I have, uh, I have a listener who writes a blog about addiction and healing, and he was talking about this analogy of the parasite. It seems like when, uh, when folks start to really go into this, uh, they have this, I, I love his analogy with this parasite. Once you, you know, it's kind of like this little thing, like a tick that's on the surface of your skin. Once you start digging in there and trying to get out, what does it do, Joe? It just starts to bury itself down inside deeper, yes. doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> That's actually well put, um, because you can do yourself a lot of damage if you're digging the wrong way to get that thing out. And it also speaks of how deeply ingrained this stuff is. 
Uh, I happen to believe, Russ, that addictive behavior is both the problem and the symptom of the problem. Right. It has very deep roots that go to the soul, that go to the way we view ourselves and life and people and love. And uh, I often find that when you start pulling up the sexual sin in a man's life, it's like pulling a weed. Initially, you think the weed is only what you see coming out of the ground, but once you pull that sucker, all of a sudden, my gosh, you find that it's got roots that go deep through your garden all the way to the other side. Right. And I think this is true of sexually addictive behavior. When I repented of sexual sin back in 1984, uh, my Christian counselor who I was seeing said, look, this is the easy part, walking away from the behavior. And I thought, are you nuts? This is hard. But, you know, he was right. He said the harder part is going to be addressing the problems you have emotionally that have really helped foster this behavior. And that's when I had to start looking at my terror of intimacy and my rage at key people in my life and the defenses that I had put up and uh, all of the problems that come along with this behavior. And so I think the parasite analogy is a good one because, of course, parasites go deeper and deeper as you try to get rid of them. It's a very complex, deeply ingrained problem. And again, I think it needs to be approached with the idea that to some extent we'll always be wrestling with it, but it's a noble, lifelong uh, process to go through. What would you say to the person who loves a sex addict or a porn addict? Because it's it kind of like the church, you know, Joe, books like yours and shows like mine, um, a lot of folks in the church maybe 10, 20 years ago, when you were facing this thing 20 years ago, um, there wasn't a whole lot out there. I mean, a lot of people would, would wrap their arms around the uh, alcoholic or the drug addict, but the sex addict, you know what, why don't you just stop doing that behavior, you pervert? What's wrong with yeah. I mean, what would you say to those folks about how come they just can't stop this behavior? Well, on the one hand, I don't think people should overindulge an addict by saying, oh, I don't mind if you act out, that's fine, I understand, it's an addiction, no problem. That only encourages and enables the behavior. I think a loved one has the right to say, this is something I can't tolerate. I understand you may struggle against it. I understand it may be a temptation. I understand that it may be a difficult thing to conquer, but I can't tolerate being in relationship with you if you are going to continue tolerating that behavior. However, I stand four square beside you. If you are committed to abandoning it, I know it will be hard. I don't expect it to be without a struggle, and I want to be your cheerleading section as you seek to do what you need to do uh, to walk away from this and to stay away from it. Now, having said that, I also know that sexually addictive behavior is, on the one hand, very similar to uh, chemical dependency or alcoholism. Right. On the other hand, it, it is unique in that it is such a specific wound to the spouse because the, the uh, sexual acting out is really a, a deep form of betrayal to the person who's married to the sex addict. And so I do understand the spouse is going to be very angry, very wounded, very depressed, very frightened. Uh, she's going to go through a myriad of emotions, and I don't expect her not to. 
So I would say to such a person, on the one hand, if you are married to a spouse who is sexually addicted, you do need to take care of yourself by understanding you're going to go through a roller coaster of emotions. Have some support set up for yourself, someone to talk to, a safe place to go, and determine with some wise counsel what your boundaries are going to be and what you can realistically expect from your spouse who is struggling with this. Because, Russ, let's remember, uh, every situation is different. We have some listeners right now who are married to men who are deeply repentant. And these men are getting into recovery groups and they're developing accountability and they're applying themselves to their sobriety. And, of course, that spouse needs to take a very supportive role. There are other spouses listening who are married to men who are basically saying, I don't consider this a problem. I'm going to keep using porn. And, woman, if you can't handle it, there's the door. Right. Or course, a relationship with someone who says, I can do this on my own. I don't yeah. need the counseling. I don't need the groups. That's the, almost the same exact scenario, isn't it? That's what I call the resistant. I find spouses are usually either um, repentant, resistant, or rebellious. They're repentant. They apply themselves. If they're resistant, they say, well, yes, I know it's wrong, but I resist doing anything like accountability, support groups, counseling. This will just be between God and me, so let's just now forget it and move on. They're resistant, and of course, that's uh, they're, they're going to fall on their face eventually, and they're going to have to decide uh, if, if they're going to take some concrete action. And the rebellious is the one I mentioned earlier that just says, hey, I do it, I like it, get over it. Right, and that's so important, too, because, you know, we can't do it on our own, and I say that a lot on the show, and I know guys, like you say, are going to fall down. And, and, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. You got it. I finally got that into my head when I called up my counselor. Uh-huh. You know, I, I need counseling. I need something. Yeah. Come. I, need, I can't just keep doing this over and over again. One of the things, I love what you said about that, too, because one of the biggest things about my recovery was the fact that my wife would not tolerate it. Yeah. My wife got very, very angry. My wife, uh, you know, thought I didn't love her. My wife just would not tolerate my sin, and thank God for that. You know, I'm glad you said that. I get equally angry at the wives who refuse to get angry who will tolerate this and empower their husbands to keep doing it as I get angry at the wives who consistently punish their husbands. They have their husbands under their thumb and they say, you are the sinner in the family, you are the bad guy, I want to remind you every day of that and humiliate you and basically keep you on a leash. And both extremes are not only ungodly, they are completely counterproductive. And that's part of the intimacy, too, is a lot of a lot of us addicts, a lot of us guys who deal with this have that, that thing with with intimacy. A lot of it comes from childhood and stuff. We, we just don't want to say we're hurt. You know, that hurts. Sometimes for an addict, especially a porn addict, sex addict, for us to verbalize when something hurts us emotionally, even a little thing, is it, so hard. When I went through counseling is what I really had to deal with, is being able to just talk about what hurts, what feels good, and what was embarrassing. Yes, I I was so well defended by the time I got into counseling, uh, Russ. I would have rather been tortured than admit that I was hurt by anything because I thought that would make me, again, vulnerable to all sorts of abuse, and I wanted to be in charge. So I was never one to admit uh, that I was hurt. It took a long time. Uh, for me to deal with that one. 
Right. It's heart disease. That's why I love yeah. what you said about the roots that go way deep down. One of the another criticism I had about the uh, 12-step programs is calling it a disease. You know, I don't go down to 7-Eleven and pick up a six-pack of disease. I don't do that. But I will pick up a six-pack of something that will medicate me to my heart disease. It's like yeah. a false medication. It's like I'm trying to fill my heart. I mean, and I did it all, Joe, man. I did, I did drugs. I did alcohol, gambling, you name it. Anything that would calm, that would deaden my pain. Yeah. Comfortably numb, I tried to make myself. Well, I think for us, sometimes people are reluctant to call it a disease because they somehow think that that means you are taking no responsibility for it. And that's not true. Uh, I find people in 12-step programs who refer to their addiction as a disease are taking full responsibility for it and they know that they have a moral responsibility to manage that disease but they also recognize that it is a disease and that it is not just a habit it is a severe disorder of the soul that has overtaken a person's life and i i see nothing irresponsible about uh... framing it in that way so long as we never use that as an excuse for sin and say, well, since I have the disease, I simply cannot help the behavior. Now, that's not true. Right. That, you're absolutely right. And, uh, the book is The Game Plan, uh, The Men's 30-Day Strategy for Attaining Sexual Integrity. Uh, thanks again for being on the show, Joe. I Russ, encourage you guys to get this book. And if you're going through the steps in this book and you have a problem with some of them or you have a struggle with some of them, that was a lot of me in counseling. As I, my counselor would say stuff, and I, and I would have a problem with it. It's funny how when you're spending 70 to 80 bucks an hour on time with someone that you will be more apt to tell them when, when something doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I just pray that if people pick up this book, don't just pick up the book, but, you know, to do the steps in the book. And if you have a problem with that, you know, you could email me or uh, just talk to a counselor. Get in a group. That is so important, isn't it, Joe? Absolutely. You need that community and support and the wisdom of other people uh, who are playing this road with you. That's right. You can, you, you, you're able to give to the conversation in groups, and you're able to take from other people's points of view and how they are at different levels, and it's just so important. And I, I, it's also important to do it face-to-face. There's yep. a lot of people in groups on the Internet, and I, I believe in that stuff. I think that's a great first step to talk about this. If you've never talked about it before, either email me or maybe get in a, a group online. But... I don't think you should stay there. I think there's a different level of healing when you can see someone face-to-face, eye-to-eye. All the nonverbals are there. It's, it's a spiritual connection, isn't there, Joe? Absolutely. We are created for face-to-face relationship. We don't conduct our marriages over the Internet. We don't conduct our friendships over the Internet. We do it face-to-face. That's right. People can only show you what you they want you to see online a lot of times. And uh, face-to-face, you can pry a little better and stuff. And, but I, I thanks again for being on the show. The, the book is The Game Plan. I have it on the website at uh, digitalaudioproject.com slash ASI. If you want to go straight to the homepage there and pick it up on Amazon. And uh, thanks again for being on the show, Joe. Thank you. Have you on again anytime you could. That'd be a pleasure, Russ. You have another book I would like to talk about in a future episode, and we'll uh, we'll hit that another day. But uh, Very good. The email is russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Please email me. Is any of this making sense? Have you been struggling with this and you've never told anyone? 
please send me an email. Get it out of you. It has power when it sits there inside of you. So please uh, take a step. Uh, email me. Talk to a, a pastor. Uh, pick up the book. Pick up some of the books, any of the books on the book list. Uh, it's so important. Start taking a strategy. Start taking steps. People listen to this show. It's They say you hear, you retain about 10% of what you hear. I challenge you, before this show ends, make a decision to take a step towards attaining sexual integrity. Please, make a decision. Write something down on a piece of paper. Just do that, please. Russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Thanks again, Joe Dallas. Thank you, Russ. That was Joe Dallas. Thank God for Joe Dallas writing this book. This is a great book. I wanted to read you guys something. He has a lot of quotes in the book. I thought this one was great. Day 17, Understanding Temptation. I am tempted to think that I am now established as a Christian, that I have overcome this or that lust so long so that there is no fear of temptation. This is a lie of Satan. One might well speak of gunpowder reaching a point which it is no longer going to catch fire. That is a quote by Robert Murray. And I just agree with that so much. I was so uh, beaten down by, I thought that once, you know, you get saved and Jesus gives you a new heart, right? So I'm not going to sin anymore. I've got this new heart. I'm a great guy now. So, you know, why am I still tempted? I think that's a, a, there's a lot of great stuff in here. Uh, I, again, I encourage you to pick up the book, The Game Plan. It's on the website. It's on my homepage. Buying books off the homepage is also a great way to support the ministry. You know, that I get a little bit of percentage, a little 40 cents or 50 cents a book that you buy off uh, ASI's website. So thanks again for that. You know, if you want to go there and buy it, you can buy it through Amazon and I just appreciate that. Again, I'm not in this to make money, but uh, anything you can do to help out the ministry, keep this thing afloat, I, I certainly appreciate it. So keep those prayers coming. And I just wanted to say that uh, thank you guys again. And, you know, I'm not Superman. I, uh, I struggle with this stuff. I still struggle with intimacy issues. Uh, me and my wife, you know, we're going through stuff right now. We've been going through stuff ever since I've been really healing and starting to just understand who I am, understand what good is inside of me and, and what emotions are inside of me. And sometimes that comes out wrong. I'm not good at doing intimacy, and uh, it, it causes friction. So I'm going to miss my wife tremendously this week, and that this time away, the they say the heart grows fonder with distance, with time away, and you know I I just pray that uh, you guys will be uh, you know I'll be writing to you and you've been writing to me and pray for me to plug into my kids this week and and just this time away from my wife to really reflect and what's important, what's really important in life. Because, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm a mess still. I'm, I'm way no Superman stuff, so bear with me, guys. Love you guys being here for me as well. It's kind of like doing group with this whole podcast show. I'm your host, but I am in no way some guru. I just want you to understand that. I see you as extraordinary people, 
and I think that you're awesome. I think that you're, it's great you're listening to this show. If you want to send me an email, remember it's russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Ladies, thanks for listening. I know that uh, some of the stuff I'm saying is uh, hitting you as well if you're struggling with this issue. Uh, write Michelle. She's a great uh, person to talk to about this stuff, ladies, if you're struggling with this. It's M, just the letter M, at digitalaudioproject.com. Until next week, thanks again for listening. Bye.